Hello and welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies and review them in order, chronologically, if you will. And I'm sitting down, I'm getting ready to review the movie, and I got a, a sneaking suspicion I was being watched by a journalist, and I uh, looked out my window and peering through it was Eric from the Gaming <laughs> Nexus, so I instead... Of calling the police, I invited him to review Rear Window with me. Welcome, Eric, to Hitchcock Chronologically. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for outing me on my road trip to, <laughs> to peek through your windows. You know, um, it was fun. We made a family event of it. You know. Oh, yeah, that was the real awkward part. Um, so, uh, Eric is the... Well, tell us about yourself. I, I could explain that who you are, but sure, 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 you sure. probably do a better job. Thank you. So, yeah, so I'm the editor in chief at gaming nexus.com, not to be confused with gamers nexus.com, uh, gaming nexus.com. So we are a, uh, independently owned, fully self-financed, uh, gaming news and reviews site. Um, it is all, all, uh, out of pocket. We don't accept any advertising or anything like that. We're, we are fully, independent and mm-hmm. uh the site's been up since about 1993 so um long run i have been with the site for probably six or seven years now and uh yeah so we do gaming news and reviews just like uh just like one would expect it's a gaming website um outside of that i do all sorts of other things you know i've got a day job i write i do this i do that i dabble so yeah. i'm very very happy to be here thank you uh, because uh, one of the things I like to dabble in is watching a ton of movies. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one. There's there's a lot going on in this movie. Man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and uh, Eric and Elliot, who anyone who knows me probably knows Elliot, we run in the same circles, uh, had me on their podcast, The Gaming Nexus Show, which if you're listening to this and you search in whatever app you're using, you will find it. Gaming Nexus show. Be sure to subscribe, especially if you like video game news. It's really fun, and they're my kind of people. Thanks, man. Now, of course. So, uh, what's your relationship with Hitchcock? Any sort of memories around his movies, or any that you particularly remember loving? Yeah, you know, okay, so Hitchcock uh, has largely been a blind spot for me, and it it's kind of embarrassing because I'm such a movie guy. I'm such a suspense and horror movie guy. And I just, I'm probably like everybody else. I don't make enough time to go check out the classics the way that Mm -hmm. I should, you know, I I took a run at the universal monsters a few years back and watched all of those. Um, And Hitchcock is always something that I've wanted to engage with more. So it's, it's real spotty. Um, I remember watching the birds on TV when I was a kid and running and screaming to my mother when they get to that shot. I don't know if you've done the birds yet. Uh, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. There's one particular shot that just threw me for a loop when I was like eight years old. There was crying. And, yeah. uh, you know, like everybody else, I've seen Psycho a bunch of times. But there are so many that I want to see and have never seen. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Vertigo is probably really high up there. Um, I have an opening. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do it, man. Uh, yeah. The Man Who Knew Too Much I've never seen. Um, like So many of them I've never seen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're kind of like in the zeitgeist. Like, you know of them. You've seen scenes from them. Like, before I saw, sat down and watched Rear Window, I knew the setup because 
maybe eight, nine years ago, some guy went and he took uh, Adobe After Effects and he reconstructed the set. And mm-hmm. then he time-lapsed the entire movie so you could watch it playing out across the entire set. So I remember seeing that and like being really fascinated by it. And at that point, saying, oh, you know, I'm going to have to watch that movie. And so here I am, you know, eight or nine years later, and I finally watched the movie. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you, you know, Jimmy Stewart, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Grace Kelly. You've seen shots from the movie. You've seen Jimmy Stewart, like, peering out the window with his leg in a cast. So I knew a lot about it without ever having seen it before. So, yeah. And, um, so for me, I, I, I have seen this before. It's been many years and, but I talk several times on this show about a attraction at universal studios that was all about Hitchcock and psycho was my introduction to Hitchcock. And I, it's still like my favorite movie ever. And they have, this thing where you go through and you watch the birds in 3d a little bit and you watch this scene and dial him in 3d a little bit. And um, eventually you go into this lobby where you kind of see how effects were practically done. And this movie is featured there. There is a wall that has all these windows you could peer in that have like things happening. And there's like binoculars you can look through and try to find the murder. Uh, Really cool idea. Um, So it, it kind of hits, I, I, it's one of those movies like outside of psycho vertigo North by Northwest. It's one of the top 10 easily most popular Hitchcock films. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you're doing this podcast, so you're probably familiar, but during my research, I came across the concept of the lost Hitchcocks. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with this whole thing? Like it, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> Because I was unaware. I was unaware that Hitchcock had sole ownership over five or six of his films and just kept them, like just wouldn't let them be shown after the original theatrical release. So Rear Window was uh, out of circulation from 68 until 83 because he just had it in like the Hitchcock vault. And they would come to him and ask him like, hey, can we just show a clip of this like for Jimmy Stewart's Oscar lifetime achievement awards and you'd just be like no absolutely yeah. not you know That's like he was looking he was hunting down copies of vertigo to burn them like <laughs> he's a maniac so he has one movie that's lost the time yeah so he has 52 movies you can watch and find readily and then there's one movie called the mountain eagle which is lost the time he he says he's glad it's lost but it makes me wonder if it's his fault you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> absolutely. Like, he's the guy who made it disappear. Like, how do how do movies disappear? I don't know, but he probably had something to do with it. Like, I think there's something really attractive about like the mystique of that. I've done that a few times before too, where I was doing like a performance, uh, you know, and I I would I would put something together to be shown one time, uh-huh. and and then like never release it again so if you weren't there that one time you've missed it it's gone and so i really kind of like the idea of like having that exclusivity to the experience and just being like okay that's it and i'm pulling it back and you're never going to see it again of course in this case until he's dead uh (laughs) there are some theories out there that he was keeping them as like a uh something to bequeath his children you know because like the more they were absent from the market and hiding in the hitchcock vault 
the more interest there was and so on. But, but yeah, I, I was really surprised to see because like rear window was in that group. Vertigo was in that group. The man who knew too much trouble with Harry and rope. So like some of the biggest, yeah. most well-known Hitchcock films, he just buried, you know, that's so crazy. Decades. I did not actually know that that's doesn't surprise me, but um, I did not know that. And um, so let's dive into rear window. As he said, uh, Eric said, this movie does star Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart. Uh, came out in 1954. This is the second of a trilogy of Grace Kelly movies. And I say that there are several actors such as Jimmy Stewart. Um, uh, man, why am I blanking on his name now? Cary Grant? Cary Grant. My man, Cary Grant. I love Cary Grant, but for some reason I was blanking on his name. And then there's one more who I just can't think of again. Anyway, but like Ingrid Bergman, there's several people that he likes keeping around. And I, it's actually more that back in the day, studios had rights to actors and they were less uh, like they'd contract, oh, five movies, 10 movies. And they had to work with that studio. So that's why you kind of see some of this. But uh, Grace Kelly has three in a row. She has uh, Dial In For Murder, which I did last week rear window and then next week it's to catch a thief um so this is the second of which and she is much better in this than she was last week she was very one note in dial m and in this she has a lot more character and in my opinion i found her very likable uh, a character i also found her very likable um unlike jimmy stewart who I just thought was a complete jerk in this movie. Um, for, for a protagonist, it was interesting because for a protagonist, Hitchcock did not shy away from making this guy kind of a callous, unfeeling, weird, voyeuristic, creepy. <laughs> a yeah, lot the of... whole movie is voyeurism. It and is... there's there's a woman across the street or and so it's like all of these houses or apartment buildings are sat back to back to back, and so it's a square. Uh, and looking out of his back window, Jimmy Stewart can see three separate apartment buildings filled with various characters. One of which is an attractive ballerina that he just spies on the whole time, and like like openly, like just sitting yeah. there in the window with his telephoto lens, I, like hey. <laughs> he's a graying man and he's looking at the ballerina. Um, there's also a musician who plays music. There's someone they call Miss Lonely Hearts who has a hard time finding uh, a mate. Uh, there is a couple that sleeps on their balcony. Um, I guess because it's hot out and they're up north and they don't have AC. Um, whereas in Florida, you have AC and nowadays, of course, the blistering heat that's going on. Uh, now you live in Ohio. I do live in Ohio. Yes. We also have, have, a, we have AC. You, Everybody okay, has good. AC. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. I was just in New England last week and I'm happy to report that those people now also have AC. So since 1954 progress has been made, nobody was sleeping on their balcony. So. Uh, that's good. Um, which I found really interesting um, and kind of a peek into the past. Uh, and then our Jimmy Stewart, he dates uh, Grace Kelly, who is out of his league, out of his league um, and half of his age. Like, yes. I mean, I mean, it's a longstanding Hollywood trope that, you know, that, <laughs> that that older men date younger women in movies. But this one's a little ludicrous. And I, I, there's there's one scene in particular 
that I thought was really funny when the uh, when the insurance nurse was visiting Jimmy Stewart to check up on him and give him his daily massage, which apparently yeah. insurance used to do. And come on, it's where's really where's, weird. where's my insurance massage? Right. But anyhow, she's massaging him and he's griping about this awesome way too good for him girlfriend that he has that he just can't stop complaining about. And the the nurse makes some comment about, well, it's only natural because you're a young man and she's a young woman. <laughs> I like, snorted at my TV like, dude has gray hair. It's <laughs> like, yes. it's like double her age. But, you know, whatever. I agree. But that character who is played by uh, someone, Ritter, which Thelma. made me wonder if she's Thelma Ritter. I don't know. Is she related to John Ritter and that family or? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I looked briefly and I couldn't find anything. It just kind of made me inter interested in that. But she plays Stella and she's great. She's one of the other uh, reoccurring characters. Most of this movie. All of this movie takes place in Jimmy Stewart's apartment and overlooking from his balcony. You don't ever get shots uh, until the very end that take place outside of his building. Um, and so you're very much seeing everything through his eyes. He has broken. Now, did you catch how he broke his leg? Did I catch how he broke his leg? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got hit by the car taking the picture. Like, and what they, a maniac. They have that fantastic picture. Like, I don't know who really took the picture or if it's just a composite or what. But for just a brief moment, they showed this fantastic picture of a car on a racetrack, like exploding into chunks. And uh, and so I. I uh, yeah. So, yeah, he got hit by the car afterwards. I was kind of Googling around and I discovered the uh, the Le Mans crash, which took place a year after this movie came out. Are you familiar with that? No, not at all. Oh, man. It's crazy. So there's this uh, this racetrack called Le Mans, and they do like a Daytona 500 thing there, where it takes like days. It's like a days long race. And a year after this movie came out, um, some dudes were racing, and one of the guys uh, cut off another guy who was in a Mercedes race car, and his car just exploded on the track and flew up into the stands. And took yeah. out like 85 people that were watching oh and injured gosh. like another 160. And there's footage of it. And uh, and it's crazy. You know, obviously, I, I was shocked when I looked at it on YouTube because they were not cutting out, you know, anything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then the craziest thing is the race kept going. They didn't shut down the race. The race went on for like so, another 18 hours or something. They just kind of rolled the dead people off the track and just, oh, kept, man. And just kept the race going because they didn't know they were they were worried about causing like a panic if they shut down the race because so many thousands of people were there. Anyhow, sidebar, it's just the, ex yeah, the exploding well, race cars sent then. me down a weird. Uh, yeah, so it makes so sense Jimmy that he broke Stewart his leg. Is a photographer and he's a maniac because his boss wanted a shot of this race or crash. So he walks onto the racetrack and takes a picture and they're crashing probably because they're trying to avoid, avoid the him. man who's on the racetrack. <laughs> yeah. He's so he's a maniac. He's injured and he has nothing better to do because he doesn't have television. It's not readily available quite yet. Uh, and he's looking out his back window, his smoking 
girlfriend who is uh is she like an actress or like an entrepreneur like a debutante she's, yeah like she's like yeah obviously from wealth she she definitely is like i guess i guess you would call her the 1954 equivalent of a social influencer like she's yeah, she's definitely like she's scoring it. free dresses to wear to events and yep. like showing off the new jewelry you know and and uh just kind of why is she into jimmy stewart <laughs> right Right. The entire like first half of the movie, she's like, I love you. I'll come with you on your adventures. And he's like, yeah, you're used to living in dresses. You can't come with me into the jungles to do the photography of the war. And she's like, I can put on shorts like I can come. (laughs) And he's just totally not hang it it up. I mean, for me, I don't know. Just uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me why they're together i like i don't know what she sees in them other than it's just maybe it's the classic jimmy stewart voice that just does it you know if if you've never heard jimmy stewart uh his voice is iconic yeah and uh so he actually used to do radio shows the six shooter which was a western an old-time radio western that i i would fall asleep to because i uh loved old-time radio because i grew up with it with my dad um So they're together. And so he's peering out this back window and there's a couple there. One uh, is an overweight man and his wife, who is ill. She's always in bed, but she also there's like the thing is, is you can see what's happening, but you can never hear dialogue from these couples. Um, Maybe you'll pick something up once in a while. It's, It's really interesting, too, because the movie does not shy away from long silences you know, like, like I, I cannot imagine a movie in this day and age doing that. But all of the music, uh, all the music in the movie is diegetic. So it just is kind of floating in from these other apartments. So unless musician guy is like playing a song or somebody else puts on a record, there's no music. Yeah. So it, it's it's all just the sound drifting in from these other apartments that Jenny Stewart is seeing. And so like at times... There's just no sound like all of the scenes that play out between the the guy and the wife in bed um, are are silent. And it's it's kind of fascinating because I don't know if Hollywood would trust the audience with silence anymore. You know, Star Wars had those two seconds of silence when uh, when the ship exploded (laughs) and and people are like, it's broken. It's broken. Like, fix it. Well, what about the quiet place? Um, Oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. That's I, true. The counterpoint. That's true. Well, that movie is up front, right? Yeah. And I do agree, though. A lot of times people are like, I had to sit through. And that happens to me in this series because there's a lot of draw, like times where the movie just doesn't move. And I'm not specifically saying this one, but there is in the middle a point where I was kind of like, all right, come on, let's keep moving. And um, there are several movies in the past where it's just like, 30 minutes of nothing. And, um, but then a lot of the movies will finish strong, which I think this one does. Uh, so for some reason, and I don't know why he just assumes that this guy has murdered his wife because she goes missing. (laughs) Okay. So, so, so we're watching the movie. My wife, I watched it with my wife and she had seen it before and I had not. And so, so what, what's going on here is he's watching out the window and it's the middle of the night and the lights go out in the couple's apartment. And then the guy 
keeps like he's got this case and it's kind of a bigger case. It's like a bigger than a briefcase, smaller than a suitcase, maybe. And he keeps leaving in the middle of the night. It's like 2 a.m. And he keeps leaving with this case and then coming back and refilling the case and leaving with the case. And I immediately said, oh, he chopped her up. He's like, (laughs) he's he's taking out chunks in that case. But of course, you know, I've got 50 years of movie watching under my belt. So, so, but I imagine true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't, I, I, for the first half of this movie, I think Jimmy Stewart's just being paranoid and bored and making up stories in his head. And he just kind of gets lucky to me that this is actually what he thinks it is. Well, yeah. I mean, like up until the end of the movie, I was 50. I was totally on the fence. Like he's wrong. This isn't what's going on. The, the wife actually was sent off to the country like, and, and maybe he's going to end up getting arrested because at the, at the beginning of the movie, uh, the, the insurance nurse, she's constantly giving the lecture, like, what are you doing watching out the window? Why are you watching all these people? Right. What's wrong with you? Specifically the ballerina. Yeah. And, and she says something like, you know, you're going to end up just getting arrested if you keep doing this. And so I kind of thought maybe that was foreshadowing. And at the end of the movie, like he would have completely misinterpreted what was going on. And, and, and maybe he would end up going to the clink for, you know, because he does eventually start interfering, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's breaking and entering and there, so there's a line in the movie. Like I, like I said, I've seen this a long time ago and I didn't actually remember whether or not the person he's looking at is actually guilty or if something else happened. Like I just, it was, I can't remember how it ended. And there's a a point in the movie where these newlyweds move in next door and the windows closed. And he says, ah, there could be a crime happening in there. And I thought maybe that's foreshadowing. Maybe the real murder is there. Um, but it wasn't the case. Yeah. I thought that too. I, I also thought with miss lonely hearts, like maybe maybe the point of the movie was that he was so focused on this supposed crime and and was perhaps wrong about it and he was completely ignoring what was going on downstairs with Miss Lonely Hearts because there's this whole subplot with Miss Lonely Hearts who is the woman who lives below the couple and she uh you know, she's sad and she she like makes a whole dinner as though there's going to be somebody joining her. And then it turns out it's just her. And she's just kind of pretending that she has somebody right. in her life. And at one point she she goes across the street to the bar, which you can kind of see through the alley. And she brings a guy home and it goes very poorly. It's no good. And so that was a heartbreaking scene for me, too, because like here. Here she is. She finally has a date. She's been she's been play acting having a date and she has the date come over. She has the 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 it wasn't wine because they had like a shot. She has the drink and the, and everything's going just how she played it up. But then he starts to force himself on her and she has to kick him out and she's broken hearted because she meets a guy. Of course, he's a jerk and a rapist and like. <laughs> I'm like, this is horrible. Um, And it just, to me, without any dialogue, just noise, you can hear sort of muffled yelling, um, but you can't make anything out. Uh, It's just a a heartbreaking scene for me because I really wanted her to find a guy to to hook up with and, and have those romantic times together because 
I wanted her to, to succeed. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, me just... too. Yeah, I was totally rooting for her. And as the film goes on, like her mental state deteriorates even further. And so there's this whole secondary. I mean, each of the each of the apartments has their own little vignette, you know, but hers in particular, there's this whole second drama going on, you know, with her. Um and I don't want to get into it yet until we get mm-hmm. to the end of the movie. But but I mean, if they were going to interfere anywhere, that's where I would have interfered. Yes. You know, <laughs> I because been... there's very clear evidence as to what's happening. Like they don't call the police when she's being assaulted. Right. Right. And then later on in the movie, there's something else happening. And they don't call the police then either. Yeah, and that and, that's like really like, oh man, we got to get over there, you know, like right. <laughs> and Grace Kelly's part of the problem too. She, st- you would think, sure, Jimmy Stewart's an asshole. You would think though that Grace Kelly's character would be like, I have to stop this, well, you know, and even and, the nurse, be for- the nurse is like, and oh, the nurse, I, I didn't she take that Hippocratic oath? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, so there's also these this couple that lives upstairs that has a dog that instead of walking the dog, they decide to load it in a basket from the fourth floor and lower it down. And then the dog will go out and do its business and get back in the basket and they'll pull it back up, which is ridiculous. Uh, there's a garden out front that the suspected killer gardens in. Um, so, like I say, at some point. This woman goes missing, his wife. And Jimmy Stewart, based on really just some suspicious activity that Eric was talking about with him coming and going with uh, the same briefcase. And then he starts to pack things up. And Jimmy Stewart gets really, really suspicious and calls his detective friend, who's just like, you're an idiot, but I'll look into it. Detective friend is like way too tolerant of Jimmy Stewart's nonsense. (laughs) Like... The entire movie, Jimmy Stewart's like, oh, I killed her. And the detective's guy's like, no, dude, like you got nothing. Like you're watching across the street that, you know, there's reasons for everything that has happened here. Uh, it, it, but the, but he keeps going like he keeps looking into it. I would have just been like at home. Like at one time, at one point, Jimmy Stewart calls the guy's house and his wife is there. And the wife says something like, do you want him, want me to have him call you? And he's like, no, just send him over to my house. Yeah, just it's like the middle so of the night. Rude. He's like, no, like, he's, he's got to come he's bossy. He's bossy to like later on in the movie. He's like, hey, go get me this. Go get me that. Grab my thing. Uh, bring over those bulbs. And granted, he's in a wheelchair, but he never says, please. It's just assumed that you're going to do what he says. Right. Yeah, he's, he's not he's not the kindest. And I think. That okay, spoilers. The killer is the guy that he suspects all along, and I think that the killer just got unlucky that he had this nosy guy. Because other than Jimmy Stewart, it's a perfect crime. Oh, yeah, he if- would have totally pulled it off. Yeah, so okay, so the killer, uh, who I did not recognize on the spot was Raymond Burr, who was TV's Perry Mason. Oh, okay. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, I know this guy. I know this guy. But I just couldn't place it in, in my head until finally I looked it up. And I was like, oh, it's right. there we go. Um, but yeah, he's kind of uh, he's kind of a sad sack, 
really. And, and definitely, like, he, he definitely did not have the greatest of relationships with his wife. It's not clear what was going on between them. But there's some fighting. And uh, I don't know. There, it's implied that there is nagging and henpecking, which I don't know if that's a good enough excuse for murders. No! <laughs> <laughs> And they even get into that a bit, like the sexism, because this is the 50s. And in all of these movies, there's sexism. I I have not watched one yet uh, where, you know, what's the test they say where it's uh, a movie has two women having a conversation that's not about a man. Right. I can't I can't remember the name of that test. I can't but, either, but, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But none of these movies have passed it. Um, and, and the same thing happens here. But. So they go missing and I can't remember all the different details of things that start to make him suspicious. Other than that, uh, Grace Kelly says, well, a woman wouldn't leave her handbag and, and just kind of gives insight from the women's perspective of what would that character do if she were alive. She wouldn't leave her handbag if she went on vacation, which is the, the story that's being told. Uh, but the police, the detective is constantly like, well, she showed, you know, there's witnesses that she got on this train. There's witnesses, well, not witnesses, but the package that was sent to her was picked up by her. And so on every chance that Jimmy Stewart has to kind of say this is actually happening, there's a reasonable excuse why it's not. Right. Which which leads to a few things. Okay. So first of all, like he is, the, the murderer is seen leaving the apartment with a woman he is seen putting a woman on the train. A woman is seen arriving where she's supposed to be. There's a postcard that he can produce from the wife that says, hey, I've arrived. Good job, me. Um, and, and so there's this implication that there's another woman. Like he's mm -hmm. he's dating someone, he's cheating on his wife or whatever. But it's never cleared up. They never actually say like, oh, hey, here's this other woman he's been traipsing around with. Uh, and she's the one who left the building and she's the one who got on the train. None of that. Like, it's just, yeah. It, like it, it's just left kind of, I kind of okay with that. Yeah. Right. I don't need everything. So, okay. Psycho, you know, the last scene in psycho, of course, where it's just them just, here's everything that happened and why it happened. And, and it's like, all right, we don't need that. Um, and, and that's kind of, I'm okay with that not being fully drawn out. Um, so at some point a dog gets strangled. The basket, the basket dog, the basket dog, basket dog gets strangled. <laughs> and we're not sure what happened and who killed the dog, but Jimmy Stewart has a pretty good idea because there's these flowers in the, the guy's yard, the killer's yard that are now lower than they used to be because he's a photographer. And so on top of spying on people, he takes pictures of his backyard and all the people there. And all there. the people there. Yeah. He's, he's not... He probably has a portfolio of the ballerina. He's documenting all of these activities so he can be creepy with them later after he's well-bodied. Yes. He's a terrible person. <laughs> and well, so he says, well, the dog was killed because there's some sort of evidence that's been buried there. And so they get him out of the house so that Grace Kelly can go with the nurse and dig it up. He calls and tries to blackmail. This is after he sends the letter, right? Yeah. He, he, okay. So he gets him out of the house in like the worst way possible. Like he basically calls and says, I know you killed your wife. 
come meet me at this bar. You know, so he gets the guy like super sus- under the guise of black. Yeah, super suspicious and all fired up. Like he couldn't come up with any other way to get the guy out of the house than to like totally get his blood up. Like you're caught and I caught you and put him like in that like defensive mindset. And, and he, they send him out of the house. Yeah. And before this, as a way to kind of. What's the word? Firm up his suspicions. They send him a, an anonymous letter that he opens and Jimmy Stewart can see his face as he reads the letter as like, what did you do with her body or what did you do with her? Uh, and you can see his countenance changes and pretty much Jimmy Stewart at that point knows, OK, you're guilty. Yeah. And uh, well, they don't find anything when they dig around and come to find out it's because the evidence that was there was actually being dug up by the dog. That's why the dog died and he moved the evidence. So because he knew probably someone might look the guy actually is a really competent killer. Yeah. I mean, you'd consider <laughs> the fact that he has covered all of his bases. He's so competent that he chokes out the dog just because the dog saw the evidence. You can't have that dog testifying about that evidence it found. You got to, there's no gotta choke way that dog this out. guy gets caught <laughs> if it weren't for some nosy guy. Uh, well, and then, and I'm getting things, I, I tend to go blank, so feel free to correct me. Sure. But then Grace Kelly does some breaking and entering. Yeah, okay, so she just goes insane. Like, in this movie, yes. she totally just, like, crosses the line. So they go down, they dig up the flowers, they don't find anything, and she's like, well, he's out of the apartment, and I'm already halfway there. So she just climbs up the fire escape and like does this crazy like shimmy over to this window and goes in the window and just starts rooting around in homie's house. Like the killer is gone for an undetermined amount of time. Nobody knows when he's coming back. And she's just like, eh, I'm going in. And, she, and this <laughs> she is the time in. when downstairs, Miss Lonely Hearts, who has had this horrible date, has emptied a bottle of pills on her counter. And the nurse knows exactly what it is. And basically, she's getting ready to kill herself. And, and like, <laughs> he's paying attention. So there's two things. Like, I don't know who you're supposed to pay attention to more. But A, this is where Eric said the nurse probably should have done something about the woman about to commit suicide. And that Grace Kelly's in the floor above. And Jimmy Stewart's watching the woman who's about to commit suicide, even though Grace Kelly's upstairs. And he's supposed to be keeping an eye out for the murderer. Yeah, and, and of course and, not doing anything about either of them. Get, no, he sucks. <laughs> he's just a and, total passive, passive viewer, man. He's like his big, uh, his big action is I'm going to get a bigger lens so I can see better. Yes. <laughs> oh, and so the killer comes home. She's still in the house and gets busted. Now, oh, I should mention there is one scene. I just back up a little bit when the dog gets killed. There's this great scene, and this is where it really starts to so at some point jimmy stewart begins to doubt himself when all of these things start lining up where she's very much alive she's in another town and the detective's like i checked into those things everything checks out but after the dog dies everybody is out and about yelling and hearing about the dog being killed who killed the dog except for one apartment which is the apartment of our killer and this is where jimmy stewart says who's the only one who didn't turn their lights on and there's this great scene as he's looking across and you just see the glow of a cigar. 
I loved that. Yeah. It was so great. No, that was, uh, that was super. And, and, and that was the first time where I was like, oh yeah, yeah. All right. That's, that's your guy right there. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so Grace Kelly gets finally Jimmy Stewart calls the police because Grace Kelly is caught with this killer in his apartment and they start fighting and the lights go out. So you can't see what's happening. Yeah. It's, it's a weird scene. Like there there's before the lights go out, there's kind of like some moments where you're like, maybe this guy's just going to be reasonable. Like he just found this woman in, in his apartment rooting around, you know, like digging through his stuff. And he doesn't like immediately just come in with the smacking, you know, like he's like trying to talk to her a little bit. You can't hear the conversation, but he's trying to like get to the bottom of it. And then, of course, I'm sure she was just like, yeah, murder. And then the smacking starts, you know, and then some possible choking, which is obscured by the back of the sofa, you know, so it's not really clear. But then, yeah, Jimmy Stewart calls the cops who show up in like 20 seconds. They're just like the best cops just of like, all time. Bang, we were downstairs. We are here. Yes. And so the police uh, department apparently is now across the street, I'm guessing. And they come in and uh, Grace Kelly has slipped the wedding ring of the supposed. So if his wife indeed had gone somewhere else, he would not be in possession of their of her wedding ring. But he is. And she steals it. And she finds some other jewelry, basically more evidence. And now somewhere here, as they arrest Grace Kelly, because she broke in her, right? She clearly is in the wrong, but she doesn't sell them out right away. And I can't, I don't know why other than that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird thing. Like it, the way it plays out is weird because like she doesn't immediately jump to he's a murderer and he doesn't immediately like... But but there's this moment where she kind of takes her hand and she puts it behind her back or maybe she's being handcuffed and she kind of flashes the ring so that Jimmy Stewart can be can see like, oh, she got the ring. And at the same time, Raymond Burr happens to look over and he sees that she has the ring, too, and she's being arrested and he can't make a fuss about it because the cops are there. So he can't say like, oh, she's stealing this ring because it's the wife's wedding wedding ring whom he has killed. So, so yeah, they haul her off to the clink. And our uh, Ray Burr sees across the way, Jimmy Stewart spying in. And now he starts to realize Jimmy Stewart's probably been the guy (laughs) who's been treating me this way. It's so funny because the entire movie is predicated on the idea that Jimmy Stewart can clearly see into these people's apartments, but if he leans back ever so slightly, a very faint shadow comes over his face, which I think is to imply that, oh, they can't see him. Like he's, he's operating on some serious one way glass, you know, like, cause there are several points in the but movie. The windows are open. There's several you points know, like, in the movie where people are like looking right at him. I'm like, dude, they're kind of like, just see you with your giant telephoto yes. lens. Like, and he can see into these apartments without any visual aid. Yeah. And, they can as easily with the lights on reciprocate. And now granted, if the lights are out, you can't see in and that would make sense. But then again, you got to shoot the movie in the dark, but yeah, that is definitely like a, one of those suspend disbelief things. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So now the movie really starts to pick up because up until this point, I'm actually 
a little bored <laughs> until Grace Kelly starts breaking in. I will her. admit that I too was kind of like, this is getting a little long, like some of the relationship stuff and so on. It just kept kind of going yeah. in circles a little bit. And they spend a lot of time showing. So music man, this guy in the neighborhood who's always playing the piano, he's always having parties, right? And they'll see uh, where the ballerina is entertaining some gentlemen and just like a lot of that, like none of that ballerina stuff really matters. It is just, there and then the the newlyweds in the apartment next door has really no bearing on anything but it's it, it does kind of i guess bring to life the backyard it's like a, yeah it's just kind of a running joke the the newly married couple is just a running joke you know the guy comes to the wi- window and the woman says harry you know and calls him back to bed supposedly and i i think that that miss torso the the ballerina yes, she yeah. she's uh just there to kind of illustrate what a creep he is uh, right uh, <laughs> the musician i think is there to provide music for the scenes you know well and he and so the music so we should say that what stops miss lonely heart from um taking these pills and ending her life is she hears the music of the music man in the corner right um, he's writing this beautiful and, song yeah and that stops her in her tracks and gives her hope and so th- Jimmy Stewart calls his detective buddy and says, hey, Grace Kelly got arrested. See what you can do. Detective buddy at this point has to be like, she broke into his building. Trust me, I have actual evidence now. (laughs) And even at this point, I'm the guy I'm like, from the perspective of the detective, come on, man. It's like the 13th call of this guy's a murderer, you know, like, like, dude, get a hobby. And now she's been arrested. Are you an idiot? (laughs) Ah, uh, it's so he sends the nurse with bail money. And so now he's all alone in his apartment. Raybert knows or suspects that Jimmy Stewart's the guy who's been harassing him with letters and knows that his this murder has taken place. And the phone rings and Jimmy Stewart picks it up thinking it's the detective. And he goes, hey, I can't remember the whole uh, the actual character. Odo- Doyle Thorwald. Oh, Doyle is the. Uh, the detective, right, but okay. Thorwald yeah, is the killer. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he picks up the phone and he's like, yeah, Thorwald's packing up. He's definitely going to get out of here. And he doesn't hear anything. Just silence on the phone. And Jimmy Stewart realizes he's been found out. And he slowly puts the phone down. And then he starts hearing movement in his apartment or outside of his apartment. And this is a great. I, I love the, the, the dark atmosphere and the, the thrill of this person is coming. It out. is really good. You get the, like the slow footsteps up the stairs and then like the footsteps through the hallway until he's right outside the door and you see the two shadows of his feet underneath the, you know, of the light coming through underneath the door. And so Jimmy Stewart kind of like slides himself backwards in his wheelchair so that he's just kind of like in this shadow. And, uh, and so then, you know, the door opens and of course is Thorwald and they're both kind of in shadow and they're both looking at it's each great. other. It, it is, it is a great shot. Like it is, is a, a fantastic scene. And then again, Thorwald starts out pretty reasonable, you know, and he does and sympathetic almost. Yeah. You kind of like, feel bad for him. Like he, he would have pulled off this wife murder. <laughs> well, not even that, but like when he calls, when Jimmy Stewart calls him earlier to get him to leave the apartment, he's like, what do you want? You know, and he does it again here. He's like, what is it that you want from me? Yeah, and kind of a sad, like, 
you do sympathize with him for a moment because he, he actually is saying, like, what do I have to do to make this go away? You know, like, like right. what do you want? Like, he doesn't immediately, again, go for the choking, you know, like he's trying. He's not. He's trying to work it out. And then Jimmy Stewart being the. Jet maniac, he <laughs> just sits there silently in the shadow. And it's great though. Doesn't I answer love him. That. He just doesn't yes. answer him. And the guy, it's like you know, runs through a few options of conversation. Jimmy Stewart doesn't answer, and so then it's murder in time. Yeah, and so as he's approaching, Jimmy Stewart has got his flash bulbs that he's got from being a photographer, and it's pitch black in the room. So as he hits the flash bulbs, it temporarily stuns. Uh, the killer, but it only delays the inevitable as he catches up to Jimmy Stewart and tries to launch him out the window, <laughs> which I think is awesome. It's great. Um, it's like absolutely great. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, he's, he's throwing him out the window. And so he's hanging from the window. And this is one of the only times you get a shot from the external of Jimmy Stewart's apartment. You see him dangling as Grace Kelly and the police arrive and, uh, and just, as much as we talked about the great shots and really this movie looks amazing. Uh, the whole thing is, is practical effects. It's all shot on one set. And there's uh, according to uh, on Amazon, this is on prime, but it won't be by the time this episode comes out. There's all these like facts about the movie and it's all shot on one set. And there's all this coordination that's done between actors and, and to make it, feel seamless and 99.9 percent of this movie is stunning to look at absolutely yeah until jimmy stewart falls out of the window <laughs> wait 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 you forgot the helicopter at the beginning that was pretty oh was god yes the helicopter is also <laughs> like, why, really awful why did they do why why didn't they just cut that shot out why? i don't even remember why the helicopter's there, there is no reason for that helicopter okay. shot it's just like we're throwing in this crappy helicopter special effects shot and, and yeah, so the, so yeah, Jimmy Stewart falls and it is green screen to all it, hell, but it looks it's real. Bad. It looks uh, appropriate to the time. And I'll also point out that, you know, in a theater, it might not look that bad. Like I've always yeah. found that like with green screen stuff, like if you think about the original Christopher Reeve Supermans, like when you watch them on TV, it's super green screen, right? Like you can, yeah. you can really see the outlines, but when you're in the theater and you're watching them on this giant screen, you don't necessarily see those effects quite as much. It's like Alan Rickman falling out of the thing in, uh, in die hard. Like, yeah. like it looks kind of rough on TV, but I went and saw that at the gate. Uh, you don't know what the gateway is. It's a cool, uh, university theater here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. And I saw it on the biggest screen that they have. And when you see it all blown up like that, the effect works a lot better. So I'm going to cut old Hitchcock a little slack on Jimmy Stewart falling out the window. But yeah, it's a little, yeah, it's a little snicker and, snicker moment. But at the same time, definitely. you're like, shit, he's falling out the window with a broken leg. <laughs> and so he hits the ground, but he also hits some police officers to soften his blow. And uh, the police officers finally get into the apartment, arrest the killer and all is well. And the last few things you see is Miss Lonely Hearts has, started a relationship with the piano man in his apartment and tells him how much her, his music means to her, which is great. I let, thank you. I, that's the, the only outside of the murder plot. The only characters that were outside of Jimmy Stewart's window that I was actually like, I hope things go well for miss lonely hearts. And they do. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, you know, 
uh, and uh, Jimmy, you cut, and Jimmy Stewart has broken his other leg, uh, which I think is just the minimal amount of punishment he should receive for the things he's done in this film. Yeah, and that's the big ending, is that he's broken his other leg, and now he has two broken legs, but he also has Grace Kelly there, who seems to be cohabitating with him now, hopefully with the permission of his landlord, which is another weirdness we should probably talk about. That, yeah. Like, the, I mean, the way that they're constantly, uh, like, you know, talking about, well, does your landlord know? Like, when she's going to stay right, the night? Like, like, it's his mom. Did you tell your landlord? <laughs> like, dude. What were landlords all about in New York City in the 50s? Like, they just... Well, New York City... They gotta know. Uh, maybe... Yeah, New York City, they probably do okay money-wise. But... So, there's one other note I had that I should have mentioned earlier. But during the scene where Grace Kelly's in the apartment, my one of my favorite shots in this movie is... You see her run from the living room area of their apartment, of the killer's apartment, into the bedroom. And you see, through the glare of one of his opening windows the shot of the killer coming through his own door. And I just loved that. It was such a creative way where Hitchcock kind of shows his creativity in those shots. Like a lot of times you watch Hitchcock movies and he's kind of known for the zoom in situation. And most of the time it's fine. But then once in a while you get that shot where you see the killer, cause you don't have cameras in there, right? But you want to see him enter the apartment and it's just done so well. Um, it is great. Now the, the, the set, I, uh, I, I read a little bit about how they made this set and it, it, the part that's really fascinating. So they built this whole thing. It was based on a real square in New York city and they built this whole thing on a studio, uh, inside a, a studio at the Paramount lot. And it was so big, they had to blow out the basement so they could put the courtyard down in the basement. And then they basically used up every single light on the Paramount lot so they could cycle day and night. So that day would mm-hmm. look like day and night would look like So they built this really sophisticated lighting system. And the apartments themselves actually had working plumbing and electricity and so on. That's amazing. And so, like, Miss Torso just lived in her apartment while they were filming. She just stayed there. Like, she like, and some of the wow. other characters did, too. They were actual, like, functioning, livable apartments. Um. So guess guess what the cost of this this set construction was? No clue. One hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> they built this crazy ass thing for a hundred grand. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. So uh, we're at the end of the movie, and how do you feel about it now that you've watched it for the first time? Do you think that this lives up to the genius that Hitchcock is is known as? I think that in several ways it lives up to Hitchcock's uh, reputation. Um, I think that, like, from what I have seen and in, in my, my my experience is obviously limited. Hitchcock films tend to be a slow burn with this massive payoff in the last five minutes. You know, it's all building up and building up and building up. And then in that last five minutes, you're like, really, it's just like turning the screws and really cranking it. And and that's very much uh, what what this movie is, you know, and, and, and very visually inventive. I, 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 I've never seen anything like it uh, visually. Nobody has ever tried it again. I mean, there have been. Yeah, I can't think of any. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
the other piece is uh, obviously Hitchcock has a troubled reputation with women and women performers and the way women are portrayed in his movies. Uh, I, I think this falls right in line with that. Like this isn't even the worst of them, man. Like the whole, <laughs> I've seen some real awful ones. The Grace Kelly character in Jimmy Stewart's attitude towards her. It's really interesting because the first half, two thirds of the movie, he's trying to break up with her. He's trying to like, like just tell her like oh, beat it there's a gr- and get out of here. And then there's a scene where like, she's like, fine, I'm leaving. And he's like, but aren't we going to see each other again? <laughs> so he's like really trying to have his cake and eat it too. But, but yeah. in general, he's very disinterested in her as a human being. He's like, so stupid. yeah, he's just like utterly dismissive towards her. But the moment she engages with his insanity and crosses that line and gets involved with like his obsession, mm-hmm. then she becomes valuable. Then he starts caring about her, you know, up until that point, she's just an object. She's just like this pretty thing that comes around and brings him lobsters that he just kind of doesn't really have time for, even though he's just sitting and staring out a window. But when she like really like kind of starts to come around to his murder thing, then all of a sudden she becomes like a character. You know, yeah. and and of value to him, and he's going to care about what happens to her when she goes across the street and climbs through the window, and so I don't know. It's it's just kind of interesting because there's a definite like line in the movie where she has where she gains some agency and becomes you know, and uh, and, and it's basically when she falls in line with the man's point of view, yeah, <laughs> and then that's she a becomes a character. Way of putting it, you know, and and so. That I think kind of just reinforced, and of course, you know, a, a lot of and that then has to the do. The detective the whole time is like, "Oh, I've done uh, so many cases based on women's intuition and right and right." Oh yeah, yeah. They so dismissive. Yeah, absolutely. Super dismissive. Super dismissive. And uh, so there's the. You mentioned that scene where she's like, "Well, I'm going. I'm leaving." And he goes, "Well, won't I see you again?" And she says, "Not for a long time, at least until tomorrow." Right. Um, which. <laughs> I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I kind of thought she was gone at that point. And my wife was like, no, nah, she comes back. No, <laughs> she's a sucker. Yeah. Um, totally true. Just good criticism there. Um, I'm looking through my notes. I think I've covered just about everything. Uh, yeah. For me, I think from as someone who's now seen almost all of his movies that, he gets a lot of credit. I think that's undue, but also I'm watching through a perspective of someone who's seen a lot of films that have been made by filmmakers inspired by his work. So you could take that with a grain of salt, but I think that this movie, despite the problems with the plot and the, the slowness in the middle and the, the misogyny, Uh, I think from a filmmaking perspective, this is the first one I can really say this is him at a genius level. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody else could have and would have made this movie and the way it was done where the, the set is really just out the back window and it takes place in such a confined space uh, and it's done so beautifully and it visually is a gorgeous movie. 
So uh, I think it's definitely one that it, when it comes back on uh, Prime at some point, uh, definitely I would recommend watching. It. I w- yeah, I, w- I would too. I was entertained by it, and I like I like older films. I like classic films, and, and so uh, this kind of scratches that itch a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would I would definitely uh, say that it is worth a look. Yeah, and you hit it on the head that his movies do just kind of build to this crescendo. And I think of the movie I reviewed recently called I Confess, which is fantastic. Uh, but it is that long, like, it's a like, good Lord, this is slow. And then it, like, the last 10 minutes are amazing. So, um, but, there, but Jimmy Stewart's... There, yeah. there has to be something to be said for, like, having seen these movies at the time when they came out. Because like you were saying about how you've seen so many movies inspired by these now that you can kind of be a little jaded about it, but you have to imagine people's brains melting when they saw this stuff for the first time, you know, like it was so innovative, like people, people, modern audiences can't understand why Casablanca was such a, uh, a big seminal film Mm -hmm. or uh, Citizen Kane starring Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. Citizen Kane was such a seminal (laughs) film. It's because they're seeing these things like montages and stuff for the very first time. Nobody's ever done it before. And so uh, I guess a a good modern uh, parallel would would be like the Blair Witch Project, you know, like, like what a revelation that was to film goers because it was the first found footage film. And so people for the very first time were experiencing that. And like, I remember I knew people that like, cried when they saw it like it was so emotionally impactful yeah. and overwhelming and scary and now you watch one and you're like that's oh, another found footage film uh, <laughs> you know no, but, yeah. but it's hard to remember that impact that it must have had at the first time so like i bet you when people saw this movie for the first time they were crawling out of their chairs in that 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 last sequence when raymond burr is climbing those stairs you know yeah uh, it, that it, yeah. yeah it must have been a really mind-blowing experience yeah, and I, and I definitely think that's true. My my other comparison would be like uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, there's this as a fiction reader, Lord of the Rings is this on a pedestal thing. But if you read it, it's kind of hard to read. And I personally feel there's better fantasy out there. However, none of that stuff would exist if Lord of the Rings had never been written. So, and and that's kind of the thing here. Um, he also has an unsavory past, which, you know, yeah, <laughs> I've talked about the, the blackface that's been in one of his films, the racism in another film and just and of course, the misogyny that's in damn near all of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you if you want them to be able to? find? Oh, yeah, you? absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the, the regular podcast that I'm on, uh, like Jeff said at the beginning of the show, is the Gaming Nexus show. And you can find that on uh, pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, you can also check out GamingNexus.com, uh, where I write way too much. Uh, I play a lot of video games. And uh, my Twitter is at Eric underscore Hauter. Um, at Twitter, it's uh, H-A-U-T-E-R. Eric is with a C, so at Eric Hauter. And I've got a YouTube channel, too, which has been strangely picking up subscribers. Uh, <laughs> look me up there. That's just uh, Eric Hauter as well on YouTube. So, Yeah. And all of that will be in the description. Uh, if you want to take a look at that, click those links uh, and support Eric. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff. Uh, there is an episode that I did of the Gaming Nexus show that's in their back catalog. But by the time this comes out, I don't know. It'll be real old news. Um, 
And I guess that's it. I want to thank Eric for coming on. And you have an open invitation for Vertigo uh, if you are so interested. Oh, I'm down, man. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Let's do it. So this is what this podcast has been fortuitous in many ways. One, I started this in January, the first Wednesday in January. And it turns out that there's 52 Wednesdays in January and there's 52 Hitchcock films. So it just kind of worked out. The other thing that worked out is the month of November is crazy stacked with movies. It's North by Northwest. It's the birds. It's psycho. It's vertigo. Wow. All in one month. Like, uh, let me make sure I'm saying that correctly. I have to look at my spreadsheet, but the month of November is definitely this, the crescendo uh, of in the same way Hitchcock makes his movies where it just goes out with a bang. The month of November is insane. So, uh, I have a guest for every episode in November, uh, except for Vertigo until now. But it starts off with Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and then The Birds. Like, those are his four most famous movies. Absolutely. Yeah, this is going to be a great. You know what? I'm going to start watching all the rest of them, too, and keeping up. I wanna, I'm want to. i going to play along because this is, this is really fun. What a cool idea this yeah. is. Well, thanks for uh, joining me again. So for once, I don't have to watch them alone <laughs> and um, remember all the scenes by myself uh, and slowly going insane. So I next week, I'm going to be watching To Catch a Thief, the third and final of the what I'm calling the Grace Kelly trilogy. Um, also starring my man, Cary Grant, who hopefully has not been canceled at any point. I looked up because I love the guy to make sure he hadn't been canceled. <laughs> and uh, so far, so good. Uh, I love Cary Grant. So we get another movie of him with Grace Kelly to catch a thief. It is streaming on prime as of this recording, but this is coming out in September. So uh, maybe not anymore, but thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week.